Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 18 of the Well-Read Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bierke, a.k.a. The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. For those of you who are new here, welcome, and in this episode there will be two segments. The first is a review section of the books I've read in the past week, and the second consists of a new author interview. So let's dive in. The first book I read was Happily Never After by Lynn Painter. When Sophie Steinbeck finds out just before her nuptials that her fiancé has cheated yet again, she desperately wants to call it off. But because her future father-in-law is her dad's cutthroat boss, she doesn't want to be the one to do it. Her savior comes in the form of a professional objector whose purpose is to show up at weddings and proclaim the words no couple usually wants to hear at the ceremony, I object. During anti-wedding festivities that night, Sophie learns more about Max, the objector's job. It makes perfect sense to her. He saves people from wasting their lives and from hurting each other. He's a modern-day hero, and Sophie wants in. The two love cynics start working together, going from wedding to wedding, and Sophie's having more fun than she's had in ages. She looks forward to every nerve-wracking ceremony saving the lovesick souls of the betrothed masses. And as Sophie and Max spend more time together, they realize that their physical chemistry is off the charts, leading them to dabble in a little hookup session or two. But it's totally fine because they definitely do not have feelings for one another. Love doesn't exist after all. And then everything changes. A groom-to-be hires Sophie to object, but his fiance is the woman who broke Max's heart. As Max wrestles with whether he can be a party to his ex getting hurt, Sophie grapples with the sudden realization that she may have fallen hard for her partner in crime. This book is such a fresh take on the rom-com, and it has a massive amount of depth without sacrificing the things that we love about romantic comedies. The chemistry between Max and Sophie is fantastic, the supporting characters are strong and hilarious, and it is an absolute joy to read. A huge thanks to Berkeley for an arc of this book, and Happily Never After is out on March 12th. The second book I read was Fangirl Down by Tessa Bailey. Walls Whitaker was once golf's hottest rising star, but lately, all he has to show for his promising career is a killer hangover, a collection of broken clubs, and one remaining supporter. No matter how bad he plays, the beautiful, sunny redhead is always on the sidelines. He curses, she cheers, he scowls, she smiles. But when Wells quits in a blaze of glory and his fangirl finally goes home, he knows he's made the greatest mistake of his life. Josephine Doyle believed in the gorgeous, grumpy golfer even when he didn't believe in himself. Yet after he throws in the towel, she begins to wonder if her faith was misplaced. Then a determined Wells shows up at her door with a wild proposal. Be his new caddy, help him turn his game around, and split the prize money. And considering Josephine's professional and personal life is in shambles, she could really use the cash. As they travel together, spending days on the green and nights in neighboring hotel rooms, sparks fly. Before long, they're inseparable. Well starts winning again, and Josephine is surprised to find a sweet, thoughtful guy underneath his gruff, growly exterior. This hot man wants to brush her hair, feed her snacks, and take bubble baths together? Is this real life? But Wells is technically her boss, and an athlete falling for his fangirl would be ridiculous, right? This book made me realize that I am in my sports romance phase because I devoured it and immediately want the sequel. This book is saucy and sexy, a wonderful take on the grumpy sunshine and opposites attract tropes, and the relationship between Wells and Josephine felt believable and natural. This book was funny and smart and a wonderful representation of Bailey's skill as a writer. Thank you so much to Avon for sending me an arc, and Fangirl Down is out February 13th. 
The last book I read was this month's pick for the book club I'm in, and that was Tress of the Emerald Sea by Brandon Sanderson. The only life Tress has known on her island home in an emerald green ocean has been a simple one, with the simple pleasures of collecting cups brought by sailors from faraway lands and listening to stories told by her friend Charlie. But when his father takes him on a voyage to find a bride and disaster strikes, Tress must stow away in a ship and seek the sorceress of the deadly Midnight Sea. Amid the spore oceans where pirates abound, can Tress leave her simple life behind and make her own place, sailing a sea where a single drop of water can mean instant death? This was my first Brandon Sanderson novel, and I must say, I freaking loved it. This book is fun and wonderfully weird. It's well-written and incredibly snarky and funny. It's tender and whimsical and just really beautiful. If you haven't read any of his works and are nervous to because of the size of some of his books, I think this is a great way to jump into his writing. Well, that's it for this week's reviews, so let's move on to the interview portion of this episode. My guest today is the USA Today best-selling romance author of over 35 different books, ranging from romance to young adult to novellas to suspense. Raised by her Japanese-American dad and her English-Scottish-American mom, she worked as a newspaper reporter before turning to novel writing. She was a finalist for the Gail Wilson Award of Excellence in Young Adult Fiction from the Romance Writers of America, and one of her books, I Do But I Don't, was made into a Lifetime original movie starring Denise Richards and Dean Cain. She believes that love makes life worth living, and humor allows us all the courage to keep on going, even in the face of grief, disappointment, and heartbreak. She thinks being reminded of the power of these amazing gifts we all carry in us is the key to living our happiest lives. And I couldn't agree more. So please welcome the incredible Kara Tanamachi. Welcome, 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 Kara. I'm so excited to have you on here because I am freaking obsessed with your book that's coming out. Like it's, I'm just, I'm obsessed with this book and we'll talk about this soon. But thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk with you. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on. And I have to say thank you for the wonderful review on your on your podcast episode a few episodes Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. So I I so much appreciate it. And I love your show. I'm I'm new to the show, but love your show. Love how warm it is and all the topics thank you cover. You. It's yeah, absolutely- I am um, I read it and I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to talk about this book because I just it's the banter is yes. just so damn good in this book and as someone who whose like partial love language is like sarcastic yes yes my answer like verging on if people heard this they'd probably think we were assholes to each other but we're really not like this right. banter was amazing I was, <laughs> it was so good well so let's start out like how I like to start out every episode with every author why did you want to become a writer and how did it happen yeah, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer. And I think it's because I just have always loved reading. Like from the very first picture book I could read um, when I was, uh, when I first learned to read, uh, my mom took me to a bookstore and let me pick out any any picture book I wanted. And I, I picked one out and I took it home and she kept the car light on so I could read it because I was just so excited. Like I, I was so excited. And that excitement about reading has never gone away. And I, and I just always, and then, wanted to write. Um, when I was in college, though, my my Japanese American dad was like, all right, you want to write novels, but like, what are you going to really do? Because <laughs> you're not moving back home. So like, what are you really doing? 
Um, so I started out, uh, I, I, I worked at the student newspaper and then was a journalist out of school and then a marketing writer to, you know, please my parents. And, but I was always writing fiction and I started and stopped probably a, a two dozen different novels and just never finished them. Um, but, uh, my first one, which I wrote under, um, my pen name, Carol Lockwood was I do, but I don't. And, um, it became a lifetime movie, but I only finished that book because a good friend of mine, an avid reader, I, I asked her to be my, my writing cheerleader. So I would send her a couple of chapters and I was like, you know, I, I need a, I need a cheerleader. I need someone who will keep me to task to, you know, keep me motivated. And she's like, I'm on it. I'm on it. And so she, she would, she would, she would give me feedback and she would say, where are those next chapters? Where are those next chapters? So it helped me finish because I had a problem with committing to finish. Cause in the middle, I would reach that, that, um, that cliff. I feel like that I reach in every book where I'm like, this is not working. This idea was terrible. Like, <laughs> I'm going to give up on this. And then I stop. But for that book, she helped me finish. And once I finished a book, I was like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. And it, it took me a couple of years to sell it. But after I did, I've been writing ever since. And that was 2002. So, yeah. So why did you want to do romance? Because there's a lot of genres out there. And I mean, we'll talk about the Lifetime movie thing in a second, because that's sure. freaking amazing and very, very cool. And I'm very interested to hear about that. Yeah. But like, why romance out of all the genres you could write? Yeah. You know, um, I love, I love happy endings. You know, I, I think there's so much, it's so easy to feel the world's very dark and sad. And there, there is a, there is a place for sadness and there is a place for, you know, all of those darker emotions. But if I can put a little bit of light in the world, a little bit of laughter, I would rather do that. I think I, I've tried writing like mystery suspense and I, I love, I love those books. But you also have to, as the author, live in that world for a lot longer than the reader does. The reader, you know, that's a few hours. Sure, that's a good point. And um, I tried writing horror once because I thought I'm just going to do something totally different. And I, I love I love slasher movies, especially around Halloween. So I'm like, I'm going to write horror. And then I was like, I hate living in this world for months. Like, this is bleak. <laughs> this is terrible. I'm like, where's that witty banter? Where's the, the flirtatious spark? Like, I would like some of that <laughs> instead. So... So romance is really uh, a, a wonderful place to spend time in that book where you know there things happen, trouble happens, you know, conflict happens, but at the end, you know it's going to work out. And, you know, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I hear that response quite a bit just as a bookseller because I also work at Barnes & Nobles. And yes. like I didn't realize how many people read romance until I started working there because I was never a romance reader. I was always mm -hmm. a fantasy reader, but my my fantasy had to have romance for of me course. to find it interesting. Or I'm like, there's no point for me to read this. I'm not going right. to enjoy this. Yeah. And like my friend, because I had read a fairly popular romance novel. I'm not going to say what it was or who the author was, but I was not a fan. I did not like the writing style. I didn't like the book. And I was like, if this is how all romance is, I'm not going to enjoy it. So I'm not going to try it. And my friend, she was like, Megan, just try this book. It was, it's like, um, oh God, get a life, Chloe Brown. It was one yes, of the Brown I Sisters love, books. Yeah, I love the Brown Sisters. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she, she's like, just, just, Megan, just trust me. And I'm like, Mila, I don't want to read this. I'm not going to enjoy it. She's like, just shut the hell up and read the damn book. Okay. Right. If you don't like it, yeah, if you don't like it, then I won't bug you again. And I freaking devoured it. And it was so good. And now probably 80% of what I read is romance. 
And when I talk to customers, they're just like, it, there's so much going on in my personal life. And, you know, there's, like you said, there's so much going on in the world that romance, it just, it gives me a safe space to land where I know that I'm going to be okay. The characters are going to be okay. And it's, I feel like that's a very popular sentiment and for good reason. I mean, it's, I think it's very true. Oh, absolutely. And in romance, you have two, you have two characters that overcome a lot of obstacles to be together. Those are internal to themselves. And I think in our personal lives, I know, you know, for me, in my relationships, both, you know, uh, family relationships, uh, friend relationships, romantic, you know, my, my with my husband, uh, you know, there are conflicts that happen. And so it's it's nice to, I think, the other wonderful thing about romance is it shows you how you can overcome your differences or how you can work on yourself and, you know, um, reach a better place and a better understanding with another person, which I think we all crave. We all crave that yeah. connection. And it's, it's, I think it's wonderful to see it in a book with characters who maybe are very different and how do they connect? And then you can use that in your personal life. How can I connect with other people, you know, or how, how are first impressions wrong a lot of the time, which happens yeah. so much in romance. Like maybe I should rethink what I think of that person. So like uh, a certain book that I recently read and absolutely adored. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> we get very fixed in our first impressions of people and then they may not be right. <laughs> we got to We got to Sometimes it's very true. So I do want to ask before I forget about your book that was made into a Lifetime movie. Yes. Tell me about the book. Tell me about the process, because I think that's so freaking cool. And that's such that's such a wonderful thing to have happen. Yes, it was wonderful. So it was um, this movie was in 2003. So I'm I'm you know, I'm ancient and I (laughs) but, you know, I'm I'm living. I'm living. That's the good part. But uh, is so in, in 2003, my uh, first novel, I Do But I Don't, was optioned for a Lifetime movie. And this was my first book. So the first book did well. It was optioned for a movie. And I was, you know, 30. And so I thought, oh, you know, or I was like just just in my early 30s. And I thought, oh, well, this is just what happens, you know, with every book. I guess this is just it. You you get a book deal. You get your first book. It does well. It becomes a Lifetime movie. Done. And that is not, I've written like <laughs> books and that's not actually what happens at all. So <laughs> I was sorely disappointed to realize that, oh no, not every book is optioned for a movie. Like this is something that's unusual. Um, but I do, but I don't is about a divorced wedding planner. So her own marriage has not worked out, but she is, her job is to make everyone's day perfect. And even though she's trying to overcome some of her you know, own disappointments, and um, the Lifetime movie, uh, she was played by De- Denise Richards before she was a real housewife. <laughs> nice. And, uh, yeah, uh, Dean Kane was the lead. I got, they filmed in Montreal. So I got to go to the set, which was so surreal because um, the um, director's chairs, instead of having the actors' names, had my character names on them. So it was like That's Lauren cool. Nick, and I was like, these are not real people and they're going to be real people. It was just very, very surreal. Um, it was so exciting to get to go, but it was also because I, I sold the rights. There were screenwriters that wrote it because I know nothing about writing a screenplay and I hats off to them because literally the first 50 pages of the book was entirely in the opening credits. Like they had to set up the character, the premise, everything. And like, when just credits are rolling, <laughs> I think so, in about 30 seconds. So um, 
but they they did a fantastic job. But I visited the set and there, you know, people working very hard on the set. And um, it was a little bit, I don't know if you've ever seen that old um, Nicolas Cage movie adaptation where he plays the screenwriter, but mm -hmm. it felt felt like that where people were like, well, who are you? And I'm like, well, I'm the writer. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, fine. You're like, <laughs> I can't, like, move along. Like, okay. You know, um, but it was so, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience, but it was, you know, that I've, I've had other books optioned, but that's the only one made into a movie. I also did a novelization of a Hallmark movie with Meghan Markle. So that's the opposite where there's a movie and then I write the book for it. So I've been on both sides of that now, but, um, yeah, so it's very fun. It's very, it was very fun. It was a good experience. I'm glad I had it. Uh, you know, it still runs on Lifetime. I think you can still, you can still watch it on. I'm going to watch it. That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. It was very fun. It's very fun. Well, if there's any, you know, executives listening to this, I highly suggest buying the rights for the takeover and making that yeah. into a movie because Me that too. would translate. It would translate so well to film. I'm I, like I said, I'm obsessed with this. And then there's all the office pranks. Like it'd be funny. Mm -hmm. A true, it would be a funny rom-com because sometimes depends on the rom-com. Sometimes there's more rom than com. You know, I think this has both. So not to brag, but you know. <laughs> it does, it has a good balance to it. And I and that's also one of the reasons why I liked it. Like there were some serious moments, but there were a lot of funny moments. There was a good mm -hmm. amount of romance, but it didn't overtake the plot. Like the plot was still there and it was well written. Like oh. I'm just like I said, I'm just I'm obsessed with this book. And like the arc that you gave me at Steamy LitCon, I yes. will like forever keep on my like most prized shelf of arcs because it's just it's so it's so freaking good. I'm obsessed with it. So good. with the takeover being your most, you know, your upcoming book, your most recent release, how and you, you said you've written since 2002, right? Mm -hmm. How has your process changed? Because that's oh. 22 years. Like, I mean, I'm assuming yes. that your process has changed. <laughs> so yes. how is how has that evolved? How has your writing evolved? Yeah, it's it's evolved quite a bit. And I think um, I mean, because writing is a craft, I think a lot of people feel like you're talented or you're not talented. And of course, there's some like inherent, you know, ability or or desire to have the ability. But really, it's a craft. It's like masonry or sculpting or painting. Like you have to learn the skills to be a good writer. And there are skills you can learn. Um, so my my process has changed a lot over the years. And that's a uh, very much due to some of the editors I've had and the uh, workshops I've gone to and how I think about writing. I mean, when I first started out, I didn't even understand what a romantic trope was. You know, like I was, I was like a babe in the woods. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just winging it based on, you know, books I had read, um, you know, my own feeling about like what a romance should be. And since then I have really uh, like dissected and understand how tropes work, how characters work, you know, tension and uh, the black moment in in romance novels and how all those, how you, you have to understand what they are so you can play with them a little bit and um, play with readers' expectations. But uh, I, I was used to be just completely um, a seat of my pants writer, a pantser. Like I just would sit down and, and write and not outline at all and it would be a mess midway through. <laughs> And uh, now I outline more. Uh, it's still sometimes is a mess in the middle, but not not for lack of planning. Just I think I get to that middle point where there's uh, I'm like, this isn't working. Something isn't working. And but now after, you know, more than 20 years writing, I'm not afraid to make big revisions. I think when I was first starting out, I didn't want to change too much. I was a little worried about like what would happen 
if I completely ditched the opening scene, started someplace else, because uh, I find now that sometimes some something big like that can completely change the lens of a book, can make it from not working or things aren't working together to now, oh, wait, it's working. Like, I just started in the wrong place. Like, I needed to start at a different place. And um, I think when I was a younger writer, I didn't have as much confidence in making some of those big changes. Or it, recently I was working on a book and I'm like, these characters aren't working and I think their genders are wrong. Like, I, I think I need to switch the hero and heroine. And I never would have done that when I was, you know, 35. I would have been like, no, I've, I've, I've pitched this to my editor like this. Like, I can't make any changes. And now I realize there's more communication that can be done. There's more, you know, and sometimes a big change can totally turn around a book and that I don't have to give up on it. You know, I can, I can keep working on it. So I think big revisions, a little more outlining ahead of time has helped a lot. And, uh, and understanding, I think when I first started, I also felt like you just have it or you don't, you just, you just are a writer. Or you're not a writer. And, and now over 20 years, I realized, no, it's just learning skills and putting those in your toolbox and having those there for you. And, and even all these years later, there's so much I still have to learn and so much I do learn from new authors that come out and new perspectives and new ways of writing. Like um, when I was in college, I had a, a English lit professor who, who talked about postmodern literature and the, the idea that everything's been written, every story has ever, you know, been told. But I don't think that's true. I think there's still a, a multitude of combinations. There's so many different perspectives. There's so many ways to put twists on things. Like, have romances been told? Yes. Have they been told the way I'm going to tell them? No. <laughs> so there's there's a lot there to write. So there's you can't be bogged down with a feeling of like, oh, everything's been done. Because it hasn't been done by you. So it's going to exactly. be you. Exactly. And you can have, and that's that's one of the reasons why I love reading. Because I can take say three books and technically you know they have the same the same synopsis you know this happens this happens they're they're all grumpy sunshine you know right. whatever it is but it's they're all different authors and each book is still so different and so unique in its own way so i 100% agree yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, yes absolutely there's so many stories yet to be told and exactly even, even if um i know some i've had writer friends who've been so worried about like their ideas being stolen. Like this is my idea and like, oh, it might be stolen. Like I have to keep it very precious. And of course, I mean, that's, that's your right to do. I will say when I first wrote, I do, but I don't about a wedding planner. I had just sent the manuscript to my, the full manuscript to my new agent. And um, the wedding planner with Jennifer Lopez came out. Like I literally was at the movie theater and I was like, no, like no one had written about wedding planners and now what? Like my life is over. This has to has to be over. And it wasn't. And not only was it not over, it was the book was was picked up by Simon Schuster. It was made into a lifetime movie, even. So there's there are so many different ways to tell a story and so many different characters you can create. And so many of those are personal to you. It's it's going to be unique. Like even the same, the very same pitch, different books at the end of the day. Absolutely. So you did mention earlier that you used to write under your pen name, Kara Lockwood, and now you're Kara Tanamachi. Why did yes. you make that switch? Yeah, I so Tanamachi is my maiden name. Um, and Lockwood, uh, you know, I had done a lot of different books. So I started out um, writing rom-com and then I went to a little bit to YA and then 
went to Harlequin and wrote some really steamy, uh, steamy books. And I, you know, had just done a lot of things. And when I sold um, the second year single to to uh, St. Martin's, they they were like, well, should we like rebrand maybe? Like, let's if we're getting back to rom coms because I hadn't written those in a while. And I agreed. And I'm like, well, why don't I, you know, write under my name instead of, you know, a pseudonym? Like, let's 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 get it my name out there then, you know, because I like I always wanted to do that. So, um, yeah, just re rebranded under my maiden name. So um, I, I also felt like, you know, since I since I am uh, from a Japanese American family, I was like, you know, I want to write about Japanese Americans and and their issues and like so why not put my name on there <laughs> absolutely like, it would be weird <laughs> why is a Lockwood writing about this that's weird absolutely and that's something that I wanted to talk about spe specifically about yeah. the takeover so is it Nami is that how you say her name yes mm -hmm. Nami yeah. okay so Nami is of Japanese heritage and Jay right Jay Jay, Jay mm -hmm. is Korean so yes. why was it important for you to have diversity in both of the main characters yes i i feel it's so important um because diversity is everywhere and we should we should promote it where we can and also it's my lived experience of uh uh i feel you know that so often um asian americans can be lumped into just one monolith where we're we're very much diverse and different and so when i write about japanese americans i also want to include other asian americans because there is a difference and there's a different experience and it's slightly and depending on are you from a, a mixed family or are you you know i mean an immigrant family like all of those experiences are very different and um you know i uh my husband is uh He's he's Hawaiian and Chinese and his kids are, you know, Filipino and Chinese and Hawaiian. So we we have, you know, a multi um, multi group here and very diverse. And I'm I just always think it's so important to include um, different viewpoints. And especially since it's it's what I live that I, I wanted to include that in the books to now, share with us. How has your own Japanese heritage influenced your writing and, yeah. you know, the characters you create? Yeah, it, it has quite a bit. And in the second year single and the takeover, um, Grandma Mitsue, who's in there, is is based on my own grandmother. She's uh, Oh, I love her. She I love her too. I love her so much. And um unfortunately she she passed away um during COVID. She was ninety-seven. Um, but this was I, my way of helping her live on in my books because she has always been um, so kind and so wise and her her heart's so big and you know as the, as the matriarch of the family she's always been so wonderful and encouraging and um, so so she's in there and she's a big part of how I I feel the books are because she's she's sort of the wise voice you know and the soft place to land and all of those things so um, it's influenced quite quite a bit because I think there's um, Family is so important in um, uh, Japanese American families. It's it's uh, as in many many cultures, but it's it's uh, and and uh, your elders are very important, and what they have to say is very important. And I wanted to include that, you know, in these books for sure. And another thing, so Jay's dad, you were talking earlier about how different Asian heritages. Her yes. Oh my god, did I say that yeah. right? Heritages. <laughs> Yeah. For whatever reason, words are yeah. not sounding right coming out of my mouth today. 
Yes. Uh, so Jay's dad has some very traditional Korean views yes. when it comes to Jay and him yeah. being the first son. Yes. Why is that? I mean, obviously, I know because I read the book, but why yeah. is that relationship important for Jay's growth? And why was that dynamic relationship important for you to have in there? Yeah, I felt it was important because Jay is a character who's pretty, at first glance, he's very cocky, right? He's very cocky, sure of himself. He's very successful in what he does. Um, he has a certain worldview. Uh, but inside, he feels like he hasn't pleased his dad, which I feel is a, um, in Korean families and many families, uh, the parent expectations, especially from an immigrant parent, can be very high, can be very high and um difficult to reach. And part of that is a communication issue because, um, in some of my, uh, as I've talked to some of my friends, uh, who've, who've had similar relationships in their families, um, there is a, a feeling like you should just know what the right thing is to do, know what your parents want of you, but they're not telling you what they want because you're supposed to know, but then you have this divide of an immigrant parent and then uh, you know, your your child who's born and raised in America, so has very different views of what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing or what success means, you know. So um, I thought it was important for Jay to have the, the dad is 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 uh, he has high expectations for him and he always feels like he's missing the mark. Uh, but at the end of the day, they come together. And um, and I think it was important for Jay because he he spent his life sort of rebelling against what he thought was not achievable in some ways. But then at the end of the day, he realized he was already achieving it. You know? <laughs> he just he just needed a heart to heart with that. You know, and don't we all want just a heart to heart with that <laughs> you know? to, to reach a, a new understanding and to see that, you know, we had misconceptions all along. I mean, it's wonderful. <laughs> we should exactly. We now, on the flip side, with Nami and her mother, you know, who's very different than Grandma Mitsui. Yes. Um, and, yeah. you know, Nami's and Sora's dad. Sora is the main character from the first book, The Second Year Single, in this mm -hmm. uh, series. And with Nami's dad passing and her mom mm -hmm. trying to create this happiness in her own life by forcing yep. what she wants and how she feels happy on her own kids... Yeah. Why yes. was that dynamic important? Because it's very different than Jay's dynamic with his dad. So why was that important for you to have in there? Yeah, that was important too, because I think, um, you know, I've, uh, I have not lost a parent, uh, but I do come from divorced parents. And I think there's a similar, um, it's a similar feeling of like, now things are different and separate. And I think sometimes parents, I know even for myself and, you know, seeing my parents, um, you're trying so hard to do what you think is right for the kids, but sometimes you don't realize that it's your unhappiness is getting in the way of what you're trying to do for them. And so maybe in, in um, Sora and Nami's case, their, their mother is like just wanting everything to be perfect because she thinks that will make them happy, but it's really making her happy. And she's not looking at her herself about like, why am I trying to put this on my, why don't I work on my life and myself? And, you know, maybe instead of trying to, puppeteer some things in my daughter's lives, you know, because, because that feels safer in a lot of ways. If you think about it, like it's safer to puppeteer someone else's life than to look at your own and be like, wait, should I date? 
should I, you know, should I date at 60? Like, should I be out? Like, should I be doing something with my own life? Like, you know, it's easier to just tell other people what to do. <laughs> but part of, um, I think Nami coming into her own is also, uh, you know, understanding that she can draw that boundary with her mom and that, and that she can, she can say, well, this is what I want for my life and, and helping Sora do that because Nami's been the one that drew that boundary more than Sora because Sora's like a people pleaser, you know, so she's mm -hmm. had a time standing up to her mom and then Nami has been, you know, uh, frustrated with Sora's lack of effort in like drawing that boundary. So um, it's just very, and I, I really liked the, delving into the multi-generational women uh, you know, the grandma Mitsui to, to their mom, to Sora and Nami, because it's, it shows that we're all imperfect in some ways and we're all very different personalities, but we're all family. We have to learn at the end of the day, how, how do we, how do we take the good and leave the bad? <laughs> you know? I like that. Yeah. Now with Nami, mm -hmm. at least in the beginning, she is really, really struggling in life. Yeah. Uh, she's no longer with her fiance because he cheated on her, which really pissed me off. Yes, yes. <laughs> she doesn't have any friends, but you know, she has this, um, she is this amazing boss who has fostered such an incredible workplace environment. And so the people she works with to, you know, excluding one person in particular, yes. um, <laughs> I'm not going to spoil that. There's always uh, one in the office, isn't there? There's always one. <laughs> there's always one. You know, apart from that one person, she's really fostered yeah. this incredible workplace environment. And these people, they love her. They protect her, you know, especially when Jay comes in, you know, and they're the hall scene and they show up, you know, hey, are you okay? Like, yeah. why was it so important for Nami's development to be at such a low place at the beginning? And yeah. then, you know, on top of all of that, this corporate takeover thing comes in. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it goes back to just a, uh, a good old fashioned character arc. You have to, you know, starting in a low place and ending in a high place, which is, which is what I, I, I love writing characters like that because I think we all identify with being in a low place. I mean, because we've all been there. And when you, when you start there, I think there's automatically a sympathy for the character because she's in a low place. She's facing a lot of struggle we've been in that struggle probably or something like it. We understand it. We recognize it. We're empathetic. And then as she pulls herself out, as she, you know, is, you know, finds ways, you know, to overcome those obstacles, then we're che cheering her on, you know, and, and rooting for her. And, you know, by the end, when there is a happy ending, it feels so satisfying because we know the struggles. Like if she started out happy and perfect and everything was great, and then it got happier and per more perfect, we'd be like, what? It, oh, well, I think it'd be annoying <laughs> you know, to watch that. I think having somebody struggle and, and overcome, I mean, there's nothing better than that. Like once you're rooting for them, you, you want them to succeed. So, um, I, I, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's just a nice, it's a nice way of growth because it's it, some of the struggles weren't easy, you know, and some of the answers weren't easy and some of them she had to look at herself and look inward and that's never easy. So um, she did the hard work to get to the happy ending. Now, enemies to lovers, rivals to lovers. That's one of my all-time favorite oh, tropes. Like, so I good. could read a hundred books with that trope, and I would never get bored. So, so why did you choose rivals to lovers for the takeover? Because that's very different than the main trip that you used for the second year single, which was childhood friends to strangers to lovers, like that kind yeah. of track. So yeah. why did you go with rivals? 
Yeah, Rivals felt just felt right for this because Nami in uh, the second year single was pretty pricks. She was in also a bad place. Let's just, you know, she was in a bad place. So she was taking it out on others, but she's, she's stormy. She's fiery. So if she, if she uh, has this, you know, uh, larger than life personality, she needed someone to, you know, a cinnamon roll wouldn't work. I don't feel like for her, she needed, she needed somebody to jab and as hard as she did. And so, and take it and, and throw it back. And then, like you were saying earlier, where it's like other people might be like, are they hating on each other? Kind yeah, are, of. Do they like flirting. each other? I know, but they're hate flirting. And, you know, that continues now. You know, I, I would like to imagine long after they're, you know, happily ever after they're still they're still barbing back and forth. But it's it is their love language. And it's part of like keeping each other honest, you know, and and uh, I think I I love rivals to lovers. It's so it's so fun because um because i think the the barbs and the and the and the banter make you know the, the sex hotter the you know uh the ten, tender moments more tender because when they're not barbing each other that means they're really they're really being completely honest with how how tender they are because you know that's hard for them to be mm -hmm. tender they want to be barbie <laughs> They want to be, they want to send those they want to send those zingers and so when they're they're being tender you know it's very honest it's yeah it's who they are so so let's get to my favorite part of the book which like i mentioned is the banter that you yeah. were just talking about okay first of all how did you create such good banter <laughs> yeah. and just like it just expresses their characters so well and like i said me and my boyfriend we've been together over 11 yeah. years like that's literally yeah. half of our love language with each other like as a couple is basically being an ass to each other and throwing it back and giving it and throwing it back taking yeah. it you know so how did you create that banter and how in the hell was it so good oh thank you <laughs> thank you well you know it's um my husband and I banter a lot so so there there was some of that and we but the Nami and and Jay's banter were sharper, sharper than ours. Um, but honestly, I think, I think it, this is going to sound strange, but I think I think good banter really it has to go back to a good character. You have to have such a handle on the characters, and the characters Nami and Jay are so alike, which is why they're rivals. Like opposites can be rivals, but the best ones are alike. They're both super competitive. They're both you know, um, they both have a very strong worldview that they think is right. You know, they, uh, they're, they're, um, hardheaded, like they're, they're both so alike. So when they start bantering with each other, it's because it's, it's, it's clear that it's, it's just an extension of their personality. Like this is how they, this is, this is how they see the world. And then, so when I had a good handle on who they were, then I was like, how would they how would they tease each other? And it would just, it just started from there. Like it, and uh, sometimes the, I think the best writing is just when the characters take over. I'm just a conduit. <laughs> once, I, once I like it, and that banter was, a, a I was just like, this is just, God, this was a good one. Look at that. Wow. I don't know where that one came from. <laughs> and it, ugh, I'm telling you, there were moments I, like I smile when I read, you know, when I read certain things, but very rarely does a book actually make me like snicker or laugh yeah. out loud. And yeah. I will fully admit that when I started reading this, I took it to work. I read it on my breaks. I read it on my lunch and I was snickering like crazy. 
in my office and oh, people probably so could hear me and they probably thought I was crazy. Like I was just like snickering to myself, but it was just, it was so like, it was so vibrant and it was so real. Like it didn't feel forced. Cause you know, you, there's sometimes where you read dialogue and that banter back and forth and it just doesn't feel natural. Yeah. And I'm telling you, Kara, like, I'm like, I, this book is so fucking great. Pardon my language, but it was so damn good. And I just kept, okay, I got to keep reading because I need to know what happens next. I need, I need to, yeah. you know, yeah. like it yeah. just sucked me in and the characters. And like I said, the relationship, and it might be because I see me and my boyfriend kind of yeah. in that with that, but it was yeah. just, I am just so impressed. It was so freaking oh, good. Oh, thank you so much. It was so much fun to write. It was so much fun. Like it, it was and it, it's really one of the, I'll, I mean, it's one of the rare, but like I've, I've written over 35. And every time I reread that last copy edited draft before I send it off, I'm always like, ah, oh, I really should have done this. Yeah, or this this is disappointing or that's disappointing. It's one of the very few times I was like, oh, I think that's okay. <laughs> like every other book I've set off, I've been like, oh, that part was dumb or, oh, I should have redone that, but it's too late. You know, you got to turn it in. Yeah. Late. You got to turn it in, flawed. And this was the one where I was like, actually, right. I mean, mostly it's good. <laughs> I'm like, that's uh, that's not bad. Now, I do want to ask, who is your favorite character to, to write? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, ah, oh, so hard. That is hard. Because there's also, apart from Jay and Nami, there's a lot yeah. of really good supporting characters in this book. Yes. Oh, well, I mean, all of the employees at Toggle are so fun. They're just so, so fun. And I, I did work um, at a startup for a while as a, as a marketing writer. This was eons ago. Um, but, and it, it, it's kind of like a love letter to, to the good parts of that. There were also very bad parts of working for a startup, but uh, the good parts were all the fun people that, that worked there and the, the sense of humor and the goofiness and the, and sometimes pettiness, but for a good reason, you know, the office pranks and the, and the whiteboard challenges and, you know, so um, I don't know. They were, they were all fun to write. Even Dell, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta have a bad guy. You gotta have you, a bad guy. You have to. And the prank with Dell and his chair just reminded me of Dwight from the office, like something that the office would do to him. And he's yeah. like, God's like, I'm going to call the police. Sorry, we called the police. They said they can't do anything. And, you know, they're photoshopping pictures behind the chair, like, oh, it's in Paris or wherever it was. It was. Yes. That was fun. So freaking good. This book. <laughs> like, I'm just going to keep saying that this book is so freaking good. And I truly, like, truly, Aww. genuinely loved this damn book. Now, really quick. So the main characters from these two books, I'm just going to talk about the second year single and the takeover. Uh, Sora, who is Nami's sister, is the main character in the first one. Then obviously Nami is the main character in the second one. Why did you choose to write a romance for each sister and, you know, have both of those books be in the same universe? Like, did you know that was going to be the plan going in? Or did you write Sora's yeah. and then go, oh, hey, I actually like Nami. I have an idea for her. Yeah, did that you know, I wrote Sora's first, um, but... I did. I did always think, you know, I want to. I want to write Nami's story. And when I when I sold the second year single, uh, my editor is like, "And so you're writing Nami's story next, right?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely." Even though I hadn't really uh, fleshed out anything, but once I sat down with her, because she she was, you know, she she had she uh, wasn't her best behaved self in the in the second year single. So I knew I had to yes. redeem her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you did. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, because, you know, everyone goes through rough patches, you know, and sometimes we're not very kind to our families in our stressful times. <laughs> so, um, but, so I always knew, I, I mean, I think I always knew I was going to, and then my editors give me that extra nudge of like, but you're writing it right. Because we'd love to see that, right? For your second book. Yeah, I'm totally writing that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely. absolutely. Yes, yes. And I'm I'm working on some some others and I hope to bring in cousins and you know, I'm just trying to keep Grandma Mitsui in there as long as I can. <laughs> you you got to love Grandma Mitsui. And that's what I was going to ask you is the next, you know, book that you're writing, is it also going to be in the same universe? Yeah, probably. I, I'm hoping um, I haven't I haven't uh, signed a contract yet for book three, but I'm hoping it'll be in the same at least a cousin like we're, we're going to meet some different relatives. But um and the setting may be different, but because uh, they have they have Honolulu cousins and they have, you know, some in other places. So, yeah. Yeah. Same universe, though. Same universe. I'm very, very <laughs> excited. I'm very excited for those. Now, one thing I did want to talk to you about is something you actually told me when we were yes. you know, emailing back and forth, because um, I'm interested how it's affected your writing or your writing process or timeline or whatever that is. But you were diagnosed with breast cancer. And thankfully, yeah. you're almost done with treatment. And you said the prognosis is good, thankfully. Yes. But how did you find out? You know, was it a random exam? Did you feel a lump? And, you know, how is the treatment and that journey you yeah. know, been? Yeah, it's uh, so it was just a routine mammogram. So uh, when you reach, you know, your time to get mammograms, get them and get them every year because uh, they really need that that uh, consistency to find differences. And I was lucky to, uh, you know, I, I, I turned 50 this year. So I, I had, you know, several, you know, many years of mammograms before that. And it was just a routine mammogram. I, you know, in fact, I was like a, a month late for the routine mammogram, uh, but went in and then uh, that's when they, they found it was is stage one uh, cancer. So it was caught early. Thank goodness. Um, I had a, uh, a double mastectomy in November, just because I mean, that was just my choice. I did not want to have to deal with this ever again. <laughs> you know, I had, I'd been yeah. poked and prodded a lot and there was a lot of biopsies of everything. And it, I just didn't want the scare and people, I don't judge anybody's decision. Everyone is different. And, you know, um, but uh, now I'm in chemotherapy and I'm about a fourth of the way through. So I had three sessions and I have nine more to go. But after that, done after that done the, the the chemotherapy is more an insurance policy the the doctors feel like because um the cancer was aggressive that it might come back so they just wanted to make sure you know and i'll take that insurance policy because i never want it yeah <laughs> to come back so i don't blame you yeah but um but yeah i just you know it's scary i think for a lot of women to to get regular health care and um but just do do what you can because my my oncologist told me um, and my surgeon said uh, you caught it at exactly the right time. Like uh, you know, next year would have been much worse, and uh, last year they couldn't see it; it was too small. And uh, wow. so this this was the time. And if they hadn't had that comparison to last year, it would have been harder for them to understand how how this had grown, what where it was, and you know. So just get those and keep getting those. I mean, I know healthcare is difficult and it's expensive and, you know, but if you can do it because it, it'll definitely, I mean, I, I have to go through all this treatment, but I'm going to live, you know, versus yeah. some 
comes in a stage three or stage four, and then that's not a foregone conclusion. So I can't encourage women enough to like take care of yourselves and self-care includes all those scary doctor visits that you don't want to have. <laughs> so go do them and encourage your moms and aunts and friends. You know, I know um, my own mom hates doctors. So even getting her to a doctor is hard, but um, I still try. <laughs> and I'm the same way. I hate doctors. And I will say I am, I literally just turned 34 yesterday yes. and in, thank you. <laughs> and like, even women who are younger, if something feels off, you yes. need to go get it checked because yes. I was in, God, I want to say it was like July or August of 2022. I was in the shower and for whatever reason, I started to feel really uncomfortable and something in my gut just told me I need to go get my boobs checked out because I am a bigger breasted woman. Yes. And so yeah. things get lost in there. It's a harder, yeah, you know, sure. it's harder to feel, harder to, you know, yeah. know about. And sure as sure shit, like I went, I got an ultrasound and I had a mass and it was a tumor yeah. and oh. it was, it was benign, thankfully, but it was one of those where if I had left it, it would have yeah. turned into a malignant one. Uh, and yes. like I said, I was 32 when it happened. And, um, I, I swear, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago. I thought yeah. I felt another lump in my yeah. other breast. And so I have an, a, I have an ultrasound appointment on Tuesday actually to go get them checked yeah. again because they, yes. my, the kind that I just happen to have, it's one that yeah. she was like, yeah. it's common that it's probably going to come back. And mm -hmm. as, you know, as long as it's under a certain size and it's not causing you discomfort or anything, like you'll be okay. But at some point you're going to have to get it removed. So like, even for younger women, especially yeah. bigger breasted yeah. women, like yeah, trust your gut, trust your intuition and get that yeah. stuff checked out. Yeah. And I think self-exams are great too, because uh, there's some cancers you can't feel, but some you can. Mm -hmm. And, and anytime there's something off, like don't talk yourself out of it. Just ha mm -hmm. ha advocate, go for yourself, you know, get that expert opinion, you know, um, the best case scenario, they say, oh yeah, you know, it's nothing. And then that's great. That's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. That's great. that's great. But if it is something you want it caught as early as possible, just give yourself the best chance. You know, yep. don't, don't let things fester, like go, go take care of you. It is self-care. It's, it's the most important self-care. It is. Yep. Trust your gut, trust your intuition and everyone oh. go get checked out. <laughs> everyone go get checked out. Right. Okay. So let's transition to our closing questions. Okay. So you said earlier that you've written mystery thriller, horror, you obviously write romance. Yes. What is your favorite genre to read? To read? Like you could only pick one. Oh, this is so hard because I mean, I do love romance and I read a lot of romance, but I also feel like uh, I read romance because, you know, my friends are writing it. And, you know, so it's it, there's a there's a lot in there's a, when I pick up a romance book, it feels like work, but not really work. You know what I mean? Because I, I'm yeah. I'm like I'm dissecting it. I'm like, what you know, what can I do better in my work? You know, so it's less like pleasure reading and more like professional reading, which is great. I still get swept away in romances. But I would have to say, I mean, I I do love a good mystery suspense. I mean, like a girl on the train or especially like an unreliable narrator. I love them. I cannot get enough of the unreliable narrator in a mystery where you're, oh, keeps me guessing. Anything that keeps me guessing because that's the other, like since I've written so many romance books, I can. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, there, there it is. But, you know, the, the surprise baby, here, here it is. Like, you know, like I, I get it. Um. 
But so probably, and, and sometimes, sometimes horror, but it's got to be a different, it's, it's got to be smart. It's got to be a smart, like, I, I don't like gore, but uh, I think it's Rachel Harrison that, that wrote um, Black Sheep and she's written some other ones, but she, she, um, she writes horror in a way that is very, um, she has social commentary in it about women in particular and, and, you know, horror in just everyday life and horror supernaturally, you know, and how they, those two might, you know, um, affect one. I think she's kind of brilliant, but, um, before, I don't know, one genre, probably mystery suspense, you know, with an, with an unreliable narrator, it's gotta be, un- she gotta be unreliable. Yeah. Gotta be unreliable. Absolutely. Unreliable. I cannot trust you. <laughs> it definitely adds to it. Yes. Yes. Now, if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would it be? You know, I was thinking about this. I, I've written so, I don't know. I, I have not written a marriage in trouble book though. I, I have written, you know, like uh forced proximity and f- fake relationship, kind of like fake date, um, you know, rivals to lovers. Although I love all of those and I'll revisit all of them. Um, I have not written marriage in trouble though. That's a, that's a difficult one. That's, that's a challenging one because they're already married. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, no, there's no, there's no meet, meet cute there. So, so, yep. and they're in trouble and there's a lot of, you know, how do you, how do you come back to that? But I would like to make one of those as steamy and interesting as, you know, strangers meeting, but that's going to be a challenge that, but that's, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, you just got to do it. Like, yes. Because they've been together for so long and they've, you know, you know, pulled apart, pulled away that they basically feel like strangers. And then you can get that spiciness and that meet cute back in there. That's a good idea. That is a good idea. I like that. Yeah. Like a re, like a reintroduction kind of, because exactly. people change over time. Exactly. Because I think many of us are in long-term relationships and the romances don't reflect like the long-term because it's sort of like happily ever after there. And then now you can have your 10 years, you know? <laughs> so I would like to write one. Like, how do you, how do you come back and reconnect after you've, and it's gotta be nothing too terrible. You have to be able to, reconnect, yeah. you know, yeah. That's and it. have it be. Yeah. And yes. I will say that the, probably the best marriage and trouble book I've ever read. Cause I'm usually not a fan of those. I like the meet cute. I like seeing that, you know, what we want or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. Challenge. But the best one I think I've ever read is uh, Do I Know You by um, Emily, em- Emily, Emily Wibberly and Austin Sigmund Broca. Okay. That book is so damn good. Like, I don't know if it was just because I was in a rough place in my relationship when I read that yeah. book, but there were yeah. so many moments that it was so like spot on because they've been married and they write together, you know, and yeah. it's just, I'm telling you, if you're, if you want to read one go read that one it's okay fantastic. all right i'm gonna put that on kindle right yeah. now <laughs> i freaking loved that damn book and i listened to the audiobook and it was really good so good sorry good. i got distracted uh <laughs> what are you currently reading and what is on your tbr list this month yeah oh gosh oh gosh well i'm reading um let me see i'm read. well i am reading emily henry's happy place and oh and i just read red string theory which I loved. Absolutely. I love that book. Uh, I just, I just love Lauren's work. Just beautiful. Like the fate and choice and. Mm. Yeah. And she does it so well. Yeah. Yeah. I just finished, I finished that there's one so, this month too. It's fantastic. There's so much heart um, in there. 
Let's see. Um, I also am reading To Have and to Heist by um, Sarah Desai. And it's so fun. It's fun. It, it, if you have, it, you basically, there's a meet cute outside of a museum robbery. <laughs> nice. Right. Nice. So, yeah. And uh, she isn't sure whether or not she just met the thief or not. And it's also still a meet cute. So it's <laughs> not, I uh, highly recommend that one. Um, let's see. I'm going to go more. I think on my TBR, there's um, um, All I See is Violence by an indigenous writer. Um, so it's it's more serious, award-winning. You know, there's... Um, a lot of a lot of issues there um but i don't know i have i have a lot i have a giant stack of books by my bed and a giant list of unread books on my kindle <laughs> that, that i will get to i i keep promising myself i will but uh yeah so quite a few how about you what's on your tbr list so right now i am reading uh i'm rereading god killer by Hannah Kaner. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I just finished, oh my God, The Love Wager by Lynn Painter. Oh yeah, yeah. And up next, uh, oh, and I just, and I finished last week, um, An Education in Malice by mm -hmm. S.T. Gibson. Okay. Uh, that's more of like a romanticy, dark academia uh, one. It's sapphic. It's, it's very, very good. Um, nice. And then I'm trying to think what was next. Oh, I'm going to read Fangirl Down by Tessa Bailey. Mm -hmm. And I love Tessa Bailey. She's just the best. She's fantastic. Oh, my God. Why can't I? I can't remember what the other book was. I have two lined up after that. To be fair, though, a lot of my books that I read now are for upcoming interviews. Of course. <laughs> so it's hard for me to sneak in books that like I just genuinely want to read. I know. Um, I Oh, yeah. But, yeah. But the list is long. I swear we could go through another pandemic and I could read a book every single day for a year and I still oh, yeah. wouldn't get through all the books I want to read. I know. I am the same. I am the same. And I there's just so many and so little time, even with audiobooks. Like I, I feel like I'm reading or listening to a book almost all day long. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's one or the other. That's my free time. That's my free time. Yep. But uh, yes, yes. So I hear you. There's there's too many good stories out there, but there nice. can always be a few more. That's, <laughs> That's true. Exactly. Yep. Kindling. Yes. Kindling by Tracy Chee. That's the other one that I have to oh, read. Okay. Or that I get to read. Not that I have to read, that I get to read. That you get to read. I'm very, excited. I'm very excited about that one. Now, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've received in regards to your writing? Yeah. Um... I've had so, so much good advice. Um, you know, what's interesting. I had a Harlequin editor, um, Patience Bloom, and she, she helped me see, really helped me um, wrap my arms around the romance genre because I think I'd been kind of stumbling along by myself for a while, <laughs> you know, at, at book conferences and reading about romance. But, um, but she, uh, she said that the, the best way to think about romance is that falling in love is the worst thing that can happen to these two characters at this time. Like it's, you think it would be the opposite. That's you people come to it for love, but those characters, it's the worst thing that can happen for them. They're either rivals and that gets in the way of their plan or, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's your big brother's best friend. And like, that's going to mess up your whole family dynamic. Like whatever it is, love is like, a you know, just 
throwing chaos in, into the mix. It's the worst thing that can happen, but then turns out to be the best. So, so that it's a, I still think about that today when I'm writing romance. I'm like, yes, how is this the worst thing that can happen to two people at this time? <laughs> I like that. I yes. like that. That I'm about to start querying a manuscript I've worked on for years. And yeah. like, that is like the romance yes. to a T like this should not be happening. And exactly. this is super, super freaking inconvenient because it's a fantasy. That's a gothic fantasy. And he ends up becoming, you know, her prisoner. And it's he's like being sacrificed to like the God of the Underworld. Like it's a whole thing. So it is not. Oh, oh I love that. Not, thank you. They should not like fall in love. But so oh, I like oh. that advice. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to stick that on my board. Yes. Uh, do so remember that for the future because I I like that quite a bit. I like yeah. that. Yes. Yes. Love now, does what it wants. Exactly. Exactly. You can't control it. We can't control who we fall in love with. Now, if you weren't an author and you can do anything in the world, money, education, you know, experience, none of that matters. What would you do for a living? Oh, if I if I had endless time and money, I I would help other writers. I would try because it's so hard to get started in the business. It's so hard to like, you know, have the time to write. I would love to give grants to people where they can just write for a year. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like just here's the money to live on. Give me your pitch. And then it doesn't even matter. Is it published, not published, self-published? It's grant money. Go for a year and just write. Just wouldn't that, or wouldn't that be great? Maybe even reading grants. Go read for a year. Here you go. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Okay, if this ever happens, you need to tell yes. me so I can apply. Because <laughs> yes. that is like yes. the dream, man. That is the dream. Exactly. If I win the lottery, I would love to set up a fund, you know, apply for it, you know, then go do it for a year. It'd be fantastic. My year of writing, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I call it, but yeah. I, I need more money so I can give it away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's like, why I need it, universe. Yep. Like I need to pay my bills. And then I, there's things yes. that I want to do and contribute to that I cannot do. And it bothers me. So yes. I get that. Agreed. Agreed. Now, if you could invite any person over for dinner, dead or alive, who would you invite and why? Oh man. Well, <laughs> my husband would hate this, but I would invite Keanu Reeves over for dinner. <laughs> nice. Good he answer. A huge Keanu Reeves fan, and actually, I literally have a life-size cutout of Keanu Reeves in my living room because uh, earlier he has a band called Dogstar. I've been a fan for like decades, decades, and um, he has a band, Dogstar. And my husband was wonderful enough to take me to see Dogstar, and he said, "I have never seen a person so happy." <laughs> I was like, "This is so. This is amazing. This is so wonderful. This is perfectly splendid." <laughs> that's and, so cool uh, and it was it came at the perfect time because it was like after I had surgery but I had recovered enough before I started chemo and so it's just a nice wonderful amazing little you know blip and then after that my mom who is amazing sent me the life-size cutout of <laughs> so I could just live with him <laughs> good job mom good job yeah mom was awesome mom was awesome so um so, yeah, I mean, I, I know most people would be like, you know, Jane Austen or like, yeah, or some, you know, Hillary Clinton. I don't know. So let's, let's talk politics. But no, I, I'd invite Keanu Reeves. That's who I would. That's who I would. Invite. And I feel like Keanu would be one. He would show up with flowers and like a bottle of wine 
and yeah. he would like be in the kitchen doing the dishes afterwards yeah. wouldn't think uh, twice about it you know what i mean he just that is an, an excellent answer yeah yeah he would be a good dinner guest yeah he would be he would be so i really chill. like that answer i really yeah. like that answer Super i really chill. do uh, i mean now, human yeah exactly now if you could invite a fictional character over for dinner who would it be Ooh. It, it could be someone from one of your books if you want. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, I, I think I have to say, well, can it can it be two? Can it be Elizabeth Darcy and, uh, you know, Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy together? Absolutely. They can banter. And for, yeah. Yeah. I would. I mean, they're, they're the king and queen of banter. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> I think I would invite them over. I'd have to. I'd have to. If, if I could have two. That's a good answer. Yeah, they can come as a couple. It's it's fine. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Now, where is a place that you haven't visited yet that you would like to, both domestically and internationally? Um domestically, I've I've been mostly mostly around. I've never been to Maine, though. So I, I would like to go to Maine. I hear, you know, it's nice. Um abroad, I've never been to Tahiti and I really want to go. I love Hawaii. That's where I was married. And I'm like, if we just keep going, <laughs> we'll get to we'll get there. We'll just get there. Why don't we just keep going and, you know, be in one of those lush huts on the yes. ocean. Oh, little umbrella drink. Nice. No, I want a pina colada. That's all I'm going to think about today. <laughs> I know it's wrong season or is there a wrong season? Really? I don't think there is. Not, not for those kinds of drinks. No. Pina colada. Not. Anytime. No, final question. What is currently bringing you joy? Yeah. Uh, aside from Keanu Reeves. No. Yes. Aside from Keanu Reeves. Absolutely. Yes. Aside, aside from, from him. Keanu, he always yeah. brings people joy. Okay. And, and I have to say, and my husband, or he'll be mad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my husband brings you joy every day. Um, what is bringing me joy? You know what? I mean, going, going through the cancer diagnosis and the treatment, I have found that I just really appreciate the small things that I didn't, you know, great cup of hot chocolate or, um, you know, a, a, a funny, a funny joke that my husband tells, or, you know, my kids laughing, you know, I, I, all those small little moments are bringing me so much joy because I think, you know, when, when you're just living your life and you have like, oh, bills and stress and the normal stress, and then you, you get focused on the normal stress and then you miss some of the small things, you know, um, coffee with a friend or, you know, you know, dinner, dinner with your partner or, you know, any number of, you know, just even driving to the store with your kids, like so, something very small and routine can be fun and wonderful. And then when you have a big, a big event in your life, like a cancer diagnosis, it just puts everything immediately into perspective. Like the, the stressing over the bills and the credit, the debt or the student loan or whatever, uh, uh, you know, getting more hours at work or, or getting cut back or, you know, all of those things, which are valid stresses, but they're also put in perspective. Like those are temporary. Those aren't the big things. You know, if you, if you're threatened with like, you might lose your life, you start thinking, oh, I need to appreciate all the little things, all the joyful things. And they're everywhere. You have to look for them sometimes. You know, you have to, you have to pay attention and not like run over, you know, that, that first drink of the latte or the laughter or the dinner or whatever, the small thing. So, and 
I think because of that, it just gives me a different perspective. And so I'm taking joy in a lot of the things that I used to brush aside and just rush over to, you know, finish my word count for the day or answer that email or do that thing. And um, I'm spending a lot more time just appreciating what's there and really appreciating it because I know it's, you know, fleeting. You know, we don't, we don't have a guarantee, any of us, for any of the days. So to, I like to take joy in everything. I like that. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. It really is. Well, really quick before we end this, I did want to ask, are you going to Steamy LitCon again this year? Yes. Oh, yes. I'll be there. Yes. I will okay, be there. So everyone I, go buy her books. Go yes. get them signed. Yes. Go see her be- at Steamy LitCon. Yes. Yes. And I, are, you are as well, I hope. So we I can am. see you. Okay, good. I am. Yes. Good. I uh, I bought my ticket like the day that the pre pre sale went out, like for people who went last year, because I was like, this, this is going to get big. You know, the first year went pretty good. You know, I, it would not surprise me if this event sells out. And so I was like, I have to get it. And I really liked that they did that, that they let people who went last year, you know, who took a chance on them that first year buy tickets Mm -hmm. first. Uh, So I'm really excited. Yes. I'm very, very excited. I will see you there. I will see you in August. (laughs) No, it's later this year, isn't it? It's not in August. I think it's August. No, it is in August, I think. Is it? I think it's early. I think it's like a week earlier. I think it's like August 5th. Maybe it's next year that I'm thinking about. There's one that I think is around Halloween. Like they switched it to Halloween. And I can't remember if that's this year or if it's next year. Yeah. I should probably look that I don't, up. I have to look. Oh, well. You know what? I'm the worst. I'm the worst at calendars. <laughs> I'll, worst. I'll figure I, it out. What day is it? I don't even know. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so, so much, Kara, for being on here. I am... Like I said, this, the takeover, I already know is going to be one of my favorite romances of the year. Like I am obsessed with this damn book. Congratulations <laughs> on your upcoming release. It was absolutely wonderful to talk to you and an honor to, to meet you last year. So thank you so much for being here. Gosh, thank you for having me. And thank you for all you do. I love your show. I'll be listening. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I sign off, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to tune in. If you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements, please subscribe or follow me at The Real Bookish Writer or at The Well-Read Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again for listening and have a magical day. See you next week. <laughs>